0: welcome to the salsa soul food podcast i'm your host angela spignese and with me is my producer mark damon and today on the show we have a fabulous guest kim valerie (music) povey kim is a yoga therapist ayurvedic practitioner and educator she is a director of the boston ayurveda school and brings 30 years of teaching and professional expertise as the founder and owner of Yoga Spirit Studios, and former CEO of Kerala Ayurveda Academy USA. She is a climate advocate and natural health activist supporting protection and access to complementary and alternative health care. Thank you so much, Kim, for joining us today. We're happy to have you. Hey, Kim. Thank you so much for bringing me on the show. It's um, I'm very honored and pleasure
1: to a pleasure to be here today. Thank you.
0: Yes, especially we're grateful on this very hot day that you've taken the time out away from the sun. So for everyone who's listening right now, it, we're in the end of May in Boston, so it's beautiful. So we want to start out by asking you a little bit about your background and your journey with Ayurveda and how you first came into contact with it. So my, my experience and journey
1: with Ayurveda started through its Sister Science Yoga, And so I came to yoga after experiencing some debilitating injuries from car accidents that uh, including a near-death experience that later brought me on a journey where I had to be very, you know, specific about what I ate and what I did and the actions and the movements in my body. And I, over a nine year um, healing journey, I completely healed myself through um, yoga. So, Yoga is more than just the um, postures, although they played a big part in bringing me to a you know, a stable physical health. It also had to do with meditation. So I learned to downregulate pain sensation through the process of meditation. I learned to calm my nervous system through learning how to downregulate my breath and how to um, experience sensations in my body. So sensory therapies, learning um, how to find moments in between the pain. And this all became foundational work for what I would later do in um, my specialty area in Ayurveda, which is Ayurveda psychology, and learning how as a yoga therapist, how the mind and body um, work together. Uh, It's not just the body that can have acute pain, you know, if there's long-term um, emotional pain and suffering that's going on on a more chronic basis, that can also lead to a psychosomatic type of problem in the body. So, I became um, an an expert in pain. Uh, my teacher was a my teacher pain was a great teacher in that it taught me how to understand about um, pain and suffering and how, more importantly, to overcome it. So after I started to overcome my um, freedom in my body and my, you know, I would be able to go into all these yoga poses and having these certain states of, you know, awareness and meditation, students came to me and asked if I could teach them what I was learning other people in pain. So I, you know, became a teacher because 30, 40 years ago, was different. I was one of the pathfinders. We didn't have 200 hour teacher trainings like we do now. I was in the time when this was uh, very few places practiced yoga. So I found, you know, students found their way to me. I started sharing and then I realized that there was something off the mat that was important. That once you find harmony and balance within yourself, there's something else there's about being harmony and balance in your surroundings, in your community, with other people, within nature, the food that you eat can directly affect your state of mind and how your practice of meditation. And so I, I found my way under, you know, to Ayurveda and it was, um, you know, yoga is a component of Ayurveda. Not everybody realizes that. But Ayurveda is the bigger umbrella from which our uh, yoga finds its home in.
2: Are you doing yoga every single day?
1: I do. Um, I do. I do pranayama and meditation every single day, which is yoga. Um, I'm physical every single day. I have a. Um, you know, I could. I could tell you on a weekly basis. I do a headstand and backbend and. Um, I could, you know, go into Hanumanasana, which is a split and very complicated poses because it's like riding a bike. Once your body knows how to do these things, it doesn't forget. So I, because of my time of life um, and uh, my age, I don't embark in the same physical practices. So today I went for a nice two mile walk with my husband in a, in, in, in the farms nearby. So I found uh, another way, you know, so to be physical is part of Ayurveda, not necessarily the poses. So I have a weekly asana practice.
2: Nice.
0: Yeah. And I think that's so important is to understand, like you said, the phase of life that you're in uh, and what you actually need right now, because that's what Ayurveda promotes, right? What is best for you in this day, in this moment, in this season, whether it's summer or or your age and i think that's the beautiful thing because like you're saying when yoga first um came into the united states or became more of something that's involves like athleticism or um like power yoga which is isn't bad but it's not there's much more to it than just what a lot of people have seen and so i'm happy that you said that and bring bring that to the surface for people to hear yes
1: because in and now ayurveda it, it also helps because there's more um, diversity and understanding that not that there are many ways to practice um, yoga. and uh, that depending on one's constitution, one type of yoga may be better for one constitution doshic constitution than than another. And uh, that has uh, a lot to do with how you might age through life as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. What are you doing in those in the Pitta phase, or in the most intense phase, or certain phase? It's from Pittas from, is it eighteen to fifty or twenty to fifty? I forget when that is.
1: Yeah, so I'll I'll starting from the earlier ages. It would be the Kappa stage of life. So you know how when a baby is born, they're so like plump and sweet, and they're like kind of like squishy, and they're so beautiful. And-
2: I never got out of that stage, but sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then, you know, you, you go through life, right? And, and and sometimes life can be hard, can be tough. You know, it can be bitter. It can be sweet. But it is like you're in the fire time of your life. You're building your life and you go through a lot of stress. It's like you're under the fire. So you have to really, you know, use your, um, your, your, physical energy, your mental energy to get through that time of life. And then in your later time of life, you tend to like get a little drier, a little more like, you know, maybe like from the uh, grape to the raisin, but it's, or from the summertime through to the winter, like there are phases where we are um, in the cup of time of life, very stable, steady. Um, are are two qualities, you know, and it's in the time of life where, um, you know, you really don't know who you are when you're 14. You have an idea of who you are, 14, 15, 16, even in your 20s, you still might not know who you are. But somewhere around uh, 25, there's a shift, you go from your Kafka stage of life to your pitta stage of life. And now you have a better idea of who you are, you have more autonomy, you're making your way in the world, you're creating the family, you're creating assets, you're building your life, and you um, are in your Pitta phase of life. This is an intense phase of life where you have energy to um, act, you know. But that curve starts to change. You, you also um, in your as you move toward your Vata time of life, which is you know uh, a more a time generally for reflection if you've lived your life well, maybe there's good retirement for there for you to um, have a slower pace at life. So what happens is that if you're in your 60s or 70s living as if you were in your 20s, 30s or 40s, you will end up burning out. Um, And so this is where there, you know, Ayurveda is uh, over the course of your life. And it's all about how to achieve balance. That's all it is, really. It's based on the laws of similars. So that means that if you have a pitta constitution and you are in the pitta time of life and you are in today's weather, which is very pitogenic at 90 degrees and humid, that is going to increase all of the pitta qualities in your body and you might end up with physical symptoms such as a rash or, or something that is very common. Um, so, you know, whereas if you were a, um, a Vata, the heat right now would be quite, quite wonderful.
0: Yeah. For like how I feel. Sorry. <laughs> yep. No, I love that you explained that. And we had Dr. Anjali on before, and she kind of gave a mini intro to the doshas, but we never talked about sort of the seasons of life. So that's great. Um, And now could you, just to segue, could you tell us a little bit about um, like the gunas, like the gunas of the mind, how we have the doshas that are more, I'm just saying it in simple terms, like for the body and the gunas, which I know you work with through your your practice of the mind and how that relates to like mental health and our overall uh, well-being. So
1: wouldn't it be nice to know that the mind has a natural state of balance? It, it's, it's called sattva. And it's a, a this sattvic state of mind um, means that it is clear and balanced and healthy and stable and resilient. And so if we continue to, um, you know, recognize that it's possible for us to return to a sattvic state of mind, um, we can we can be inspired because your you know your physical dosha does not change. When you were conceived, that was when your dosha was determined, and your dosha constitution stays with you your whole entire life. But depending on whether or not the mahagunas, which is sattva, which is a pure, stable, clear, genuine quality, rajas guna, which is willful it can be intense um it can be uh you know domineering like there's a they there's a state of rajas which can you know i guess willful is the best way to say it and there's tamas which is the third guna and when tamas is uh in the mind it can um the mind can go into a state of inertia, dullness. It can go into a state of denial. It can go into an extreme state of negativity and judgments and biases and all of that. So those conditions, those energies, we'll call them their gunas or qualities, we'll call them qualities. These three qualities um, rule our mind and our lifestyle and affect our doshas. For example, if we had a um, vata person, that vata person would be, you know, uh, more prone toward intellectual and musical endeavors. That person would be more sensitive, maybe more spiritual, maybe more quiet. And if they were a sattvic vata, they would, you know, most likely be very positive and spiritual. If they were a rajastic vata, they would be um, very unfocused, very fickle, um, can't concentrate, can't focus, maybe, you know, ADD-like. And if they, and so that would affect their nervous system over time. And if they were a tamasic vata they could even be um, you know more prone towards suicidal type of tendencies very dark worry fear no faith lack of of hope and seeing unable to see you know a positive thread which is essential because it's not until we hang on to those positive threads that we can reverse the mind out of these states and likewise with um, a pitta constitution a Pitta person would probably, who was Sattvic, be a great leader, someone who could inspire someone, and, and um, a visionary even. Um, but a person with, you know, good skills to guide and lead. But if that person was Rajastic or Tamasic, they would be willful, domineering, and um, hurtful, um, toward others, you know, and I think that we see a lot of that in our society. And then a copagenic type of person who is more sattvic is going to be the stablest of all, healthy, um, wonderful with children and kind and patient. But if that person too becomes verjastic, they become very possessive and wanting to um, uh, jealousy and possession. And and that could lead into more addictive types of personality. So depending on our constitution and how tamasic or rajasic we are, the goal would be toward moving towards sattva because here's the best part. When we move towards sattva and the mind is established in a state of balance, the body then becomes balanced. So we call, you know, this practice, uh, Safavajaya in the suffix state of mind, one of the highest uh, rejuvenating practices because it, by, by creating that purity in your mind, it will translate to purity and balance in your body
2: cool so you're, you're basically saying that the 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 body follows a healthy mind so you don't you don't want to go you don't want to reverse that just to be like hey i'm i'm in a dark place maybe if i start working out that will get me in a better spot you need a healthy mind first
1: and it can work both ways okay. no so that yeah. that is that is true um if uh, you know someone's copathogenic uh, a cup of body and they're depressed getting them moving, getting the fire element going, getting them to use rajas to begin to uh, move them towards sattva. So rajas can go either way. Rajas can move towards sattva or rajas can move toward kapha. It depends. Um, But as as an Ayurvedic practitioner, we would want to see our, our students, our clients, finding strategies to move them towards sattva.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question too, because I think that we're so used to getting these like concrete black and white answers in the world of like health and wellness. Like if you're this way, you have to do this or, and so with Ayurveda, there are these, these very personalized and individualized ways when you're working with someone one-on-one. Totally. Totally. You're, there's, there are many, many factors that are playing into it and you,
1: you know, I always look to say what two things might I suggest that I remove from this person's lifestyle and diet and what things can I um, bring in? And, you know, I try to find the one or two things that are most significant for the impact of change so that they're successful in making those changes. So that that goes into it too. You know, I um, it is true that, You know, if we are able to have a disposition where we can be benevolent and see the good in everything, that's actually helpful and part of sattva. And, um, you know, I know uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson has this quote that is um, the measure of mental health is the disposition to find good everywhere. And when we can hold that, you know, having gone through so much pain and suffering myself, I can also say that pain is a teacher. And I can um, say that even when we go through difficult learning experiences or painful situations, there's usually good that comes out of it if you open yourself to being vulnerable to digest that pain and suffering, whatever it is. And that is what Safavajaya, my specialty in Ayurveda is, is helping people digest those thoughts and feelings, those um, difficult perceptions that are misperceptions that they may have um, and give them some hope and trust to move through taking something that happened in their past as a child or even something more recent and helping to transform that into um, new insights.
0: And how does the sattva vijaya, so how does a, a session work typically, or how does that therapy work so that listeners can learn a little bit more about it?
1: Um, I prefer to do a complete initial intake so that I take everything into consideration. So I like to take one's, um, health history into consideration. I like to take um, diet and lifestyle intake, family history intake, and um, go through a comprehensive look at that person, not only in the state of balance or imbalance they're in currently, but also What their norms and tendencies were for their entire life. So once I understand um, this person holistically, then I will take a look at. um, Sometimes it's very obvious where I'm, you know, where I want to go in, and sometimes it's, um, uh, I can ask a few other questions. For example, if I were to ask anyone listening on a scale from one to 10, 10 being very, you know, very high and intense, what's your stress level right now, right? So what's your stress level in general? And let's say that someone said to me, oh, well, right now it's a seven, I'm under some stress, but when there, it can really spike. And I'm like, okay, so what is it that's going on in your life that would make your stress level spike to a 10 or even maybe above 10? And then usually they'll tell me about what causes them to have a stress. And that'll be where I can begin to recognize, oh, there's a reaction in the mind-body system that I can begin to neutralize and help to mitigate and digest what the root cause of those stress is those stressors are. Um, Sometimes people will say, well, there's not much stress right now in my life. So I can ask them the question, okay, on a scale from one to 10, 10 being very high, what's your happiness level? And then sometimes I'll hear, well, I don't have any stress, but you know, my happiness level is four. And then I learn about what's, you know, where that where that that suppression of happiness is coming from. And then I can always, you know, begin to work with techniques that um, help me to loosen up where there may, may be stuck and add a little of that fire element to, you know, help to burn away the dross of what can then be given to them for hope and moving forward
2: mm-hmm. those are all uh so stress pain happiness I feel like they're all very hard things to quantify um especially because if someone asked me right now are you happy there would be kind of two ideas going on in my head like a am I happy and b do I have anything that I shouldn't be happy about like how like in my life I'm pretty set like I I don't have anything that's depressing me, but does that mean I'm happy or it's it's like the difference between I should be happy because there's nothing depressing me, but am I actually truly like do I wake up every morning saying like gosh darl dar, dar- darn nabbit, I am a happy man I don't think I could say that to, like if someone asked me that question you know, so do you get those type of answers?
1: Yeah, yeah, I do you know because um uh this. Sometimes people will not know, even if they're happy, but I can ask them, how is your spiritual life? Do you find it satisfying? Mm -hmm. Um, On a scale from 1 to 10, how purposeful does your life feel? And then I start tapping into places like I don't feel like my life is contributing. I don't feel purposeful. I don't feel satisfying. I don't feel like I'm learning and growing and I'm not thriving in a way a spirit might. So the body can thrive, the mind can thrive, and the spirit can thrive. And so happiness tends to kind of tack into that um, window of of happiness. And one of the things that um, is helpful in Ayurveda and yoga is even noticing the statement, I am happy. Right, So that would mean, or I am sad, or I am angry. Anytime we have a statement that is I am, it would be that we're identifying with that state, which is a uh, temporary moving state. Because if you are um, an emotional being, which we all are, we can have many ups and downs within one day, even of how we're feeling or how we're identifying. But in Ayurveda and where I have found is helpful is that when we identify with our self as a, um, well, there's so many ways to say it, but I could say, just say our sacred self. So if we're identifying with our sacred self, we can be in a consistent state of mind that is sattvic, but we can say, yeah, I, I am a sattvic sacred being, but, right now I'm having a momentary lapse into anger, right? And it's like, or I'm having an experience of happiness that I know is fleeting, because tomorrow it might not be there in the same way. But when you're in a constant state of um, equanimity and balance and peace and benevolence and beauty, I'm gonna say, that when you are in that stable place, that is unchanging, that is eternal. Then that is a state in which um, we can look at the, a larger lens of our life, larger lens. So that, um, so I, I hope that's helpful in just looking a little bit more as to 100%. how deep this can go.
2: Yeah, that, those were quick. Sorry, we have a, a car horn going on outside. Great, perfect timing. I'll just shut the windows. We got. We'll, we'll sweat a little bit.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll wait. Is that like a horn going on? Yeah, it's a car alarm. <laughs> oh, God. Broadway and Everett. That's, you gotta love it. That should
2: be better. We probably we probably won't pick that up now. Okay.
0: So you want to say that's great?
2: That is great. Those are all great qualifiers to to add to that to happiness. Thanks for that.
0: And so I, I have done some some sessions with Kim and they were so eye opening. And one of the things that I loved most is that um, she begins this dialogue where you start to sh- she initiates a dialogue with your sort of body and spirit. But that's the thing that I love the most about the Sava of Vijaya sessions is that you start to develop this this inner dialogue with your body and sort of seeing that you can have this conversation uh, which I think is so enlightening for so many people to to access things that they didn't know that they could. So for you, Kim, when did you first have the experience where you were like, okay, I can sort of talk to my own body, or maybe you had it was through a teacher or through your first session uh, in this type of work that you recognize that for yourself. Um.
1: So I one in one of my. Uh, near-death experiences, I've had two. Um, and they were all happened in my 20s. I um, was in the emergency room, and all of a sudden, I was watching all of these people running around this particular table. And I didn't know why I was in the emergency room while they were rushing in. And the next thing you know, I saw them elevate the legs of this table. And um, I went and looked and I was on the table, but I was outside of my body looking at myself on the table. And when I saw this, I got very panicky. And I remember I started to like spin in circles and I'm like, what's happening? And this man came over and said to me, so, we would like to know if, would you like to, you get to choose life or death, but we want to let you know you've been choosing death so far. What would you like to choose? And I remember like in that moment, having flashes of all these experiences where I should have been really happy in my young life. And they were laced with so much like sadness and heaviness. And I realized that that's what they were trying. That's what he was trying to tell me is that I was not choosing life. I was choosing, uh, I I was in, you know, I went down a one-way street the wrong way and was hit by a drunk driver. So I use that as a metaphor for that was when they, Jaws of Life had to cut me out of the car. It was really bad. So I realized I was going down a one-way street the wrong way, but I chose life. So when I came out, I remember choosing life. And then the next thing I remember is being in the post-op and I touched my nose and I had this like oxygen at my nose. And I realized I looked at my hands and I saw that I was back inside my body. And I realized that I was going to choose life and I was back inside my body. Now, that's when I knew that we all have an expanded way to be in ourselves (laughs) and that from, you know, from that day forward, I had a, I always recognized that at any moment I could be not here. So I decided I was gonna make the best of this beautiful life that I had. So I didn't, pain was still there. I still had nine years after this to deal with like um, overcoming pain. So I would sit and I would feel pain and I would listen to where it what where it was in me, and I would s- learn to downregulate it. Just basically, just going until I started to digest all this pain, and started to realize I stored certain things in my body. More importantly, there were a few places I stored things in my body that weren't even mine, that were actually my family members. And then I realized. Um, That as I started to realize I was carrying pain and suffering from um, my father and from other people who I loved, I realized that when we love someone so much, we're willing to carry their pain, we actually can tuck away a few of their burdens in our own self. And this became a real interesting study for 30, 40 years in working with people and seeing these connections and seeing how... Um, we work as a complete mind body system, um, which also has to do, now we know it as epigenetic DNA. We know that we can, there's new studies out now that let us know that, uh, three generations back, we could be pulling in threads of undigested thoughts and feelings and carrying them into our DNA today. And what's interesting about Ayurveda is that we know that the DNA for one's prakriti, one's physical dosha, is set. But if we're rajas, it's going to change the epigenetics of the DNA. And if we're tamasic, so when we come into a suffix state of mind, we kind of balance out and we um, revitalize, even down to a cellular level, our, our health and well being.
0: Yeah. I love that so much because I know my, my father has a history in his family of Alzheimer's and, um, you know, he's always done things to sort of prevent it and to be, be on top of it. But I always tell him like you, the the way that you're living your life, you're conditioning yourself or you're changing your almost like the mind to prepare yourself to almost avoid that disease. And almost with his, with him, like it's going to end in a sense that, that disease because he's made different decisions and been able to make different decisions for his mind and body that he's able to sort of that it's not necessary that if you have a history that that's going to happen to you and so it's been interesting to see him um, just kind of like in his old age flourish and I know I have such like um, confidence that that's really not going to affect him even though I don't know if he knows that a hundred percent but, so, what you're saying, I think that's so beautiful to people to realize that they can change their condition. Right. You
1: know, um, we can have the markers, the predisposition to have disease in um, in the body mind system. And uh, those factors are there, but I think it's our state of consciousness that can actually toggle them, those traits on or off as we um, embrace who we are at the deepest level possible
0: yeah definitely
2: and you can even use your your experience as uh like uh, a slogan for people you could say you know don't don't go down a one way the wrong way you know she does use that oh you do like don't don't fight against that flow you know
1: right don't fight you know anytime we stop the flow you're creating a blockage the best thing is to yeah. just open up and embrace it and go inside and 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 digest it definitely
2: yeah
0: yeah mark's giving you material for your- <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, this is how yeah. you should be a doctor yeah you yeah. got great from me yeah <laughs> no
0: you're funny um so we know that this has been such a an intense time of the the past year and a half. And we're all moving into a different phase as now the summer's coming and and different things are happening. So what is some like some small steps you think people can make to really try to create balance in their in their mind? You know, I know that if you speak to someone uh, on an individual level, you might have different things to say. But just generally, what are some recommendations you might give um, during this time?
1: Um, so I think generally to people who are listening, um, I think I'd like to just say that there are three natural tendencies and you could have more than one of a a dual combination or all three, but the natural tendencies are for people to worry and have anxiety. That's one. And people to get angry and feel intensely frustrated and pressure. That's two. Or feeling very um, dull, unable to navigate through something, and you just basically block it out or bury it or put it out of mind. That's number three. So, whether your tendency is to block something out, to get angry, or to have worry and anxiety, those are all indicators that there's something that you can do to balance yourself. Right? So, um, for the most part, if we want to, um, and and in today's world, they're so easy. It's easy to just block something out, get upset or just have worry. Right. So it's pretty, it's pretty, um, I, I invite everybody to look at the world as if we're going through a spiritual awakening. If we are looking to find You know, if if Mother Nature is asking us to find ways in which to take better care of the planet and better care of ourselves, um, better care of um, our, our minds and our immunity. There's been no greater opportunity than this past year to actually do that assessment of self and look at our lives because we can say, yes, I'm, you know, how can I make the choices to have better health? What can I do to have better health? Or some people who are home, their health got worse or their situation got worse. Um, A lot of people lost um, loved ones. This has been a very difficult year. So there's been all sorts of grief and difficult feelings. So when we have uh, life, You know, life, it's important to find that thread of something unchanged that you can hang on to. So that's step one is find that thread that gives you stability. That's going to um, anchor you for some people. That's their family. Some people that's their spirituality. I know people, it's even their physicality or it's mountain bike, you know, mountain biking, it's like whatever it is, that is their fun thing that they're like, I've got to hang on to this to, to be okay. So the second thing is if you can practice meditating, that is the best thing you can do because meditation allows you to, the opportunity to begin to develop those inner pathways that will lead you to digest. It will lead you to listen on the inside. If you can listen to the on the inside of your inner thoughts and feelings, you know if if you can you'll lear, if you can learn to look at yourself without judgment, without criticism, if you can learn to listen to others from a place of compassion, um, if you can withstand being under pressure without snapping so that you have resiliency, meditation gives you all of these things by merely finding the pause and you just can do five or five minutes a day would be would be wonderful but if you can sit down and become present and even just start with the words I am okay you know I am um healthy I am present just like really noticing being in the moment and just stay there for a few minutes it will help to anchor you in on that you know breathing
2: is I do, I do think like meditation takes like um learning. So I I do agree that everyone should meditate like you said, but like where does a person start? Like you did you did just kind of get into that with just sitting and saying I am okay, but like how do you feel about those apps that are out or it, is that a good place for someone to start or is there there a, is there a better place?
1: Um I'm I think that those are a good place to start. I mean, um because it, you know, yes, it's definitely a good place to start. It will help you to get into a habit. You know, there's the whole repetition aspect of learning how to meditate. Because your meditations are not always wonderful in the in the beginning when you're just learning how. To, they can actually be uncomfortable. You can be like, you know, um, restless. You know, you have to tame all of that, all those vrittis. I'm calling them all of those distractions and inner promptings that you can't sit still or be present or just in a surrendered state. So the practice of just doing it helps.
2: Okay, for sure. Yeah. Cool.
1: Yeah, yeah and the other uh, the other way to do it too is um, people don't realize that contentment is something that can be acquired also. Um, if you just uh, have moments of awareness where you realize, oh, this is a content contented moment, like this feels good. Like, I like the sound of the bird. I like the way that breeze feels. I like, if you can invigorate your senses with experiences that feel good and that are healthy, and just be mindful of that, that can also begin to train the body to find a state of um, equanimity.
2: I need to learn to like the car horns and like the motorcycles driving by that's my next step
1: that's your next step (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, because um anytime we have an aversion to something we push away so attachments to aversions I mean they're big because there are so many things we don't like so if we're saying if we have reactions every time we don't like something you know I have I we had two cats Molly and Callie I do so miss them but Callie um when my husband and I would meditate in the morning Callie would cry at her. She would sing or cry at her water things, you know, like big loud noises. And it would just irritate my husband. So like, oh, he couldn't meditate. And then, um, but he would watch me just sit there and just like not react and just not, no aversion to it. Just like sit, it's just life's happening all around me, but I'm in my, my centered place. And he would, he would say, how do you do that? And I'm like, well, I just realized that Kelly is your, your teacher. Kelly's your teacher right now. So he started to try it and he started to try it. Well, he built such a relationship with this cat that at one point mm-hmm. this cat would only go to him and want to be fed by him. And they had such mm-hmm. a bonding. It was really something. Um, but he had so much respect and appreciation because he got to the point where he could um, stay in that stable space. And as a result, he's been great father and stepfather and a great partner and just in life being able to, you know, um, not be reactive, but be calm and patient and just, you know, uh, not react to, but just pause, breathe and look, make a decision, contemplate it, go to next step. Like, nothing has to be so intense or volatile. And that was his tendency before he started meditating. So he, he learned how to, like, become more suffix through the nuisance of Cali.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that story because we can all relate to that. And I think right now in the time that we're in, we could all use use that advice just to take a pause before we react. You know, I, I can do that from moment to moment because I'm, yeah, I definitely have to work on that. But all of us, I think, like, together would be have some nice outcomes for sure. So we thank you so much for for sharing so much. I know that you have, you shared so many stories with us through the Ayurvedic Health Counselor Program. So I know you have so much more. So, but it's great that you shared a little. And can you let everyone know where they can find you online in case they want to book a session with you or learn more about the Boston Ayurveda School?
1: Yes, thank you. So www.bostonayurvedaschool.com brings you right to our website, and uh, you can book a session online through me or anyone on our faculty. Thank you so much for having me here today.
0: Yes. Thank you so much, Kim. We loved it. And we hope that our audience and we know that our audience will take something away from hearing you today.
1: Wonderful. Thank you.
2: Awesome. This is great.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Kim.